People all around the world love sport. From playing ball in the backyard through to the Olympic and Paralympic podiums, the majority of the world's population play, watch and enjoy sport. Steve Dart from Play Hard Sports gives listeners the chance to meet people from across the world of entertainment, sports and business who are affecting the way international sport is unfolding. So, with the combination of technology, passion and great people wanting to tell their story, it gives rise to Play Hard Sports Behind the Games podcast. On Behind the Games podcast, episode 21, we have Steve Liddell, the owner of TriStar Sports Australia, based on the Gold Coast. Steve, good morning. How are you, mate? I'm good, Grant. Mate, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming along to Behind, Behind the Games podcast. It's been a real pleasure getting you on. You've got some great stories and you've been around the sports construction industry for a, a long time. Let me take it back to uh, your early childhood. You were born in Woodridge in Logan in 1974. Tell me your earliest memories. Well, as I said, I uh, lived down there with mum and dad in Woodridge. Um, dad had a uh, pool sales business down there with dry clad pools back yep. in the day. Yep. Uh, with my sister and um, I've got two sisters. Uh, yep. I'm a twin. Yep. And an older sister. Um, and we grew up down there. It was uh, not as multicultural as it is today. And okay. uh, they were the good days. And Was it farmland back then? No, we were just in the mainstream central Logan. A okay. little um, little block. We had five swimming pools in our backyard. Uh, that That's was the, unusual. That, that was dad's business. And <laughs> yeah. uh, my job on weekends outside of school was to maintain those pools. Okay. And, uh, and um, yeah, that was pretty much. And then grew up down there and... Well, it's not often that you'd uh, you'd have five uh, swimming pools in your backyard. So, how did that come about? Was he into sales of pools and things like that? Yeah, well, he owned he owned that. He said uh, he bought the pools off dry clad pools, and um, and then he would sell them out of the house. That was the family home. So, the the two front rooms were the offices, yeah. and the back of the house is where mum and us kids would live. And um, we would run around the backyard. And it was a pretty big block in that sense to accommodate that. And um, and when dad was selling. Pools to customers and other customers would come in and, and walk around the display village. It was technically I took it on board to uh, entertain those people uh, while Dad was busy with other clients and um, ask questions and uh, get answers and, and give them information in regards to pools. And those spiels I'd, I'd learn off just by listening to Dad as sure. a kid. And um, looking back at it now as an adult, it's one of the greatest things I ever did and and it was a father and son thing that no one ever can take off me and uh, I got a lot of respect for him in that sense. And right. I guess back in the day I never really understood what was going on but yeah. it was just the way we were brought up and yep. an old school type of concept. Well, it sounds like you were imitating his sales talents. Definitely, mate. That's I'm great. a splitting image of um, – and I'm proud of that. You know yeah. what I mean? I said uh, it's pretty cool when you grow up with your, your parents that you can honestly, now that mum and dad have passed, you can uh, put them on a pedestal and go, well, I was proud of him. All right, we'll get to that soon. Yeah. So you moved to Tweed Heads. You were at uh, – in grade one to three, you were at Cool and Gatta State School. Yeah. Uh, was that a good time for you in that early – I guess it's early, but what do you remember from that time? Well, I said we got out of Woodridge. Dad was um, – had kidney failure back in the day and um, he was um, given a shortened time um, with the technology of transplants and that wasn't a, yeah. a very common thing back then and he wanted to um, better his family life in the short time he had so – we moved to Tweed Heads and lived on a canal. We rented a place down there um, so Dad could um, give Mum the dream and his kids the opportunity to live that lifestyle because there wasn't a lot on offer in Woodridge and uh, sure. that was his purpose 
behind the move to uh, Tweed Heads and he would commute back to Woodridge to go to work each day and we would live um, at, uh, at Tweed Heads and go to the local school, cool and go to state school. Going from, uh, I guess, inland to the beach would have been... Oh, massive change, change of plan, mate. Yeah. Massive change. Um, and I so said we've never... I mean, I'm fair-skinned. I'm, I'm not a bronze iron man type of thing. So, uh, yeah, they were good days, mate. Really good days. Well, what did you think when you first got down to the ocean and saw that, the, the, the amount of uh, blue ocean and white sand coming from Woodridge? It would have been a shock. Well, we never spent, a, like, every day, all day at the beaches and that. But, uh, I mean, I guess we were always sort of around the home sort of people with the, yeah. the four bricks and the plank of wood and a BMX bike in okay. the middle of the street um, yeah. in a cul-de-sac. So, yeah. uh, and we sort of grew up throwing balls against walls and, sure. and um, yeah, and then Dad had a, a, a little boat that uh, we used to go out fishing with and, nice. and um, yeah, we try and live the, the lifestyle that he tried to, well, he did provide for us, you know, because of his medical history. Sure. Uh, you attended Somerset College. You were a foundation student, grades four to seven. What does that mean, foundation student? Well, the reason we went to Somerset College is my older sister had a, uh, a teacher that taught at uh, Cooling Out of State called, his name was Frank Farocco. Yeah. He was from American. He, apparently he, was a, he never taught me personally, but he taught my older sister. He was a really good teacher. And he actually moved from um, uh, Cooling Out of State School to Somerset College when it first opened okay. in 84. Yeah. And my sister was... Um, getting in close to high school at that stage, and um, we chased we chased the teacher because he was going to be teaching wow. um, my sister okay. in the the grades that he was nominated at Somerset College. Sure. So we all went there once again. Dad was doing well with his pool business. It was a a brand new college school. It wasn't a state school, and obviously Dad being Dad just tried to do the right thing by his kids. So we all went to Somerset College. Sure. Just just explain you chased the teacher. What do you mean? You were so impressed with the teaching style. Well, the, obviously, my older sister must have been, and my parents wow. had obviously had a relationship really with him in, in some shape or form. Yep. That that was the decision um, my parents made, and we were happy to go with it because wow. um, we didn't know much better. Wow! Yeah. Thanks to that teacher, obviously, it yeah, was a big influence. Okay, so you attended uh, TSS, which is the Southport School, grades eight to ten, and you got a football scholarship. Now well, I was playing that. rugby union at okay. at, uh, at Somerset College, and. Um, yep. At that stage, um, my parents, uh, we were living at Tweed Heads and then once again, Dad being the dad he was, we then moved out to Narang because my sisters wanted horses. Wow. So we moved out to Narang yep. and once again, Dad was still sick, so we rented a, a, a six-acre a paddock out yep. at Narang, yep. had a tennis court yep. and, and uh, the sisters got involved in horses. And um, I was still at the Somerset College and I was playing uh, rugby union for the school at that stage and... And um, I was obviously scouted from however that works and um, I was, they were asked us what high school I was going to attend. Um, I was in uh, grade seven at that stage and the answer was just a local school because we were going to be moving to Paradise Point. And they said, well, would you be interested in coming to a, um, the TSS? And obviously the funds um, weren't available to do such a, yeah, a, a move. Not cheap, is it? Not cheap, no. So they offered us to apply for a scholarship and um, I got accepted wow, um, on a footy scholarship, yeah. Yep. I've been into TSS and uh, obviously when you walk in there, it's just the whole hallway is just covered with uh, trophies and, and just, um, you know, awards. So it, it's obviously a great catchment for athletes for that yes. school. What was, um, what was TSS like apart from the sports? Obviously... Is it a good place? Was it a good place for teachers and learning and things like that? Well, I guess I um, I rebelled on that decision. For um, it was an all boys school, okay. And I was going into high school, 
Yeah. And uh, I guess the hormonal yeah. um, decisions behind that were obvious. And sure. uh, so I sort of went in um, dragging my heels. Yep. Um, but I knew that there was going to be opportunity for an education. Sure. Um, so I guess because I sort of grew up in Woodridge, uh, going to TSS, there was a lot of BMWs and a lot of sure. stigma and uh, um, ego yeah. amongst the students. And I never really caught on to that culture. Yeah. Um, in fact, I rebelled against it. I yeah. think that's what sort of ended, um, come to the decision with my exit in grade 10. Okay. And then um, went to a local school. But I said uh, the school is, the school well, was a beautiful school in the presentation and the professionalism and... I guess I was just too young to really uh, understand that uh, the benefits I could have got by hanging in there a little longer. Let's just touch on that with the affluence and obviously um, the wealth of students coming to school. And you were a kid from the streets. Mm -hmm. how, how did you find that? I know that definitely with the affluence would have been a bit different for you, but did you find that you just dug in a bit harder? You were just a, a, a kid that just wanted to go a bit harder because you didn't. You just came from a bit of adversity? Yeah, well, I guess I struggled with the, um, the social side of it because um, – it was well known that I was a kid on a scholarship. Yeah. And when I got picked up from school, it wasn't in a BMW. Yeah. And I, I felt that judgmental thing at standing at the local car yeah. pickup. Yeah, sure. And, um, and obviously with the um, uh, outside of school social thing, there was a lot of jet skis and yeah. that I wasn't sort of familiar with. And, um, and uh, I guess I found it hard to find true friends in the sense that I was – because I was judged because of where I came from and yep. what I was, I sort of never really accepted. Yeah. And – but I said that's that's life in general, well, I guess. Well, I'm a big believer in adversity makes you stronger. So yeah, I'm definitely. Glad that. What was some of your best and worst subject in school at the time? I've always been good at maths. Yep. And to this date, I'm not good at English. I'm not I'm not a very good reader. Sure. So I've always been – I've always been a uh, look and learn sort of guy. Yep. Which is the way I brought up with Dad. He always showed me stuff and yep. – I've never take. really, I've never been one to sit down and read how to change a tire on a car. Yep. I've just watched, yep. watched, hands. look and learn. You attended Coomba Bar High School grades 11 or 12. You were house captain. I was, yeah. yes. How'd that come about? I, well, I said, I, at that stage, I was, um, we, we, from Narang, we bought a block, dad bought a block of land at Paradise Point back in the day um, before it turned into a boom. I think we paid $86,000 for a waterfront block of land at Paradise Point, which is unheard of. These days, and uh, I think we bought it. We had built a, a double-story house on it. I think back in the day, it cost him just over two hundred grand. And uh, so we moved to Paradise Point, and um, I played local rugby league for the Runaway Bay Junior Rugby League Club. And I was still at TSS when we moved to um, Paradise Point. And half of the uh, device of me leaving TSS was they found out I was playing rugby league outside as well as rugby union. Okay. And the school wasn't happy with that decision, which yeah. kind of, well, they, in, their investment was me playing rugby league and okay. being, and I was good at athletics. I um, represented uh, Queensland yeah. with athletics, being a sprinter. I was yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. And then um, at uh, 14, I developed diabetes. And um, the, I guess the, the side effects of di developing diabetes is you lose a bit of weight. You've got no energy, and um, that affected my my size and my weight and my speed, which consequently uh, affected my football. And um, then they found out that I was playing rugby league, and rugby league is what I've always grown up on. And um, I didn't want to give up that sport. And I had good mates 
once again because I was hanging around the local kids that went to the local state schools and I felt that that was my strength, that I didn't want to be a high flyer. I always wanted to stay grounded. And I think the people I was associating with were also grounded because they were from the streets and um, I found my true friends through that avenue. That's great to hear. Mm. Okay, let's have a touch on your family. Obviously, they're, they're an inaugural part of your, your growing up and a big part of your learnings. Um, what's – give me some um, – tell me about your parents. Obviously, you said they've deceased, but give me a bit of a synopsis about what they – who they were and what they meant to you. Well, Dad was – he said he was – he's a salesman. He's an, um, an ex uh, – he was a licensed real estate agent. So he had the gift of the gab. He was very good at that. Um, was he honest? Very honest, mate. Love very, very simple. Yep. Very simple man. And, um, yeah, well, I remember when we were living out in Narang and um, I knew why he was doing the, the horse thing and the, the tweed head thing just to, to provide while his family while he was still on the planet. And I remember back and we, we went out for a local Chinese meal and it was about two or three k's home um, and mum and the girls – drove home and dad said I want to walk home with Steve so he and I done the, the 3k walk home and during that walk he pretty much laid on me as heavy as it was that uh, the doctors had told him because of his kidney failure and his in his dialysis that he was on that um, he wouldn't see me turn 13 wow. so based on that being the only bloke in the house uh, his only son that uh, Oh, he gave me the spiel on what to do when he was not there and look after his sisters and do the right thing by mum. And um, that was a, a heavy conversation. And and then um, and then mum was just a, the typical old school mum. Um, yeah. She she stayed at home and cared for the kids and, yeah. and done the right thing. She was always a behind the scenes mum, like like most mums back in those days. And uh, she had a heart of gold. She never burnt up or. And um, so between the two of them, I said, oh, it's, it's, I, I've got great memories of, of their relationship and their relationship probably towards us um, as kids. Would you say you were perfectly parented? I was, yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah, de I've, I've got no qualms in the way I was brought up in any shape or form. Yep. Very proud of that. You have a twin sister, Debbie. She lives in Sydney. She works for ASIC and is in IT tech. Mm -hmm. Were you and Debbie close growing up? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we used to fight like cat and dog. That's but I said, uh, even to this day, my sisters, I always look out for my sisters. I guess the two girls in general, they can fight like cat and dog. Okay. So I said, uh, based on the conversation Dad and I had back at Narangas, I've always tried to keep the peace between those two. Yeah. So I am the meat and the sandwich. I accept that. Yeah. It's a good thing. I enjoy it. And But, yeah, Debbie, um, Debbie and I are very close, but we're two we're apples and oranges in our, our habits, our social life. She loves a big smoke, the city. As much as I love going and visit her, I can't stand being in Sydney for too long. Okay. But yet she she thrives on it. And uh, you've got an older sister, four years older. She lives in Yatla, Queensland. So she's local and she works for Vizier and a senior accountant. How well do you guys get on? We get on well. Nikki and I get on very well. She's a quiet clam. Um, she actually was up in Ingham, up, at, up near Cairns there for a while. She was... Uh, She's been to university, she's done the education thing. Yeah. Um, I've never been to uni or college. Um, she's probably the smartest out of all of us. Uh, she's an accountant. So she was up in uh, Ingham uh, for a long, long time and she's finally uh, she's only been probably back um, five, six years now. Um, she's recently had kids, twins. Um, so it's the, the, the chapter continues. Yeah. 
Um, but she's a, I said, uh, she's a worker. I'll give her that. She's a, um, yeah, man, I've got a lot of time for her too. That's so nice to hear. Mm. Okay, so you obviously grew up being a pretty um, excelled at sports. You represented Queensland athletics during school. Tell me about that. Well, I've also said, uh, being a red-headed bloke, um, my old man always told me, mate, he said, you've got two options in life, mate. You learn how to fight or learn how to run. Yeah. And I chose option B and um, it served me well. And uh, I said, uh, I've always enjoyed athletics, but I said, unfortunately, the diabetes thing at 14 um, crippled that. It's um, young, isn't it, to have that? It was, a, it was yeah. and I guess it was a bit of a thing, okay, well, what's uh, this has happened to me in the sense I've lost all my energy, I've lost all my speed, I've lost a lot of weight. What's going on, Doc? Um, he said, well, well, we'll test you for diabetes. And obviously the, the, the outcome came back positive for that one. Well, how do you get it? And the answer to that was, we don't know. Wow. Okay. That blew me away. Yeah. And then, oh, okay, well, then the next question was, well, how do I get rid of it? Well, we can't. You get, you're stuck with it for the rest of your life. Oh, is it what? hereditary? It's not. There's no history of it. Wow. Which is another uh, thing I rebelled. My twin sister never got it. So I guess as a 14-year-old, I had to ask myself some personal questions like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, um, sure. I've always been to a Christian schools, yeah. as in Somerset and um, yeah. TSS. I've never stole handbags off pensioners or, you know, key cars. And um, I guess based on those decisions, I, I had a lot of things, you know, like I'd never be able to have McDonald's or fast food again was the yep. theory going around back in those days. Yep. And I'd be jabbing myself with needles for the rest of my life. Yep. So I guess as a 14-year-old, I just went into a dark shadow and rebelled, yep. Yep. I guess, for so, a long time. So what saved you? Football. Okay. Probably football and friends. Yeah, pretty much. You played NRL in America for the Connecticut Wildcats, which is the sister club to the Western Tigers, 2004 and five. Tell me about that time. Well, I said I, um, I came back from Perth. I was living in Perth for um, I've been a few places now, but I came back from Perth back in 2003. Although I was a runaway Bay um, footballer, I got back and some friends I played for runaway Bay uh, as juniors were coaching for the Southport Tigers, the arch enemy. And I, um, so I got back there and started playing football for Southport. Um, I didn't know a lot of people back because I'd lived in Perth for seven years at that stage. So I got back so I, and I snuck back into, back onto the coast because I'd uh, separated from my, from my wife and uh, I guess I just needed to self um, find myself again and, sure. and I didn't have the answers to all the questions I had. Find the purpose again. And um, so I got back into my football um, to vent, I think, and I was playing some good football. And uh, and then the offer came through was, to, you know, would you be interested in going to America and, and playing the NRL in, in the States? And my first answer to that was, I can't, I'm, I'm married with two kids. Yeah. And, um, and that's when my dad pulled me up and said, well, son, you know, you're still waiting for all those uh, the ripples in the water to iron out in the the, the finalisation of all those questions that are involved in divorce, and um, he said, "Go over there and 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 see the world, mate." I've never done such a thing because I'd always been a, a young father, yeah. and um, so I did. Knew nothing about the planet, and um, I took up the opportunity and 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 went over there as in a dark space. And uh, Rupert Murdoch, he, was, he's, he flew us over there and he gave us a house, gave us company cars. 
And over there in the States, um, the teams aren't owned by boards. They're owned by like the NBA. They're owned by people, billionaires. And um, we go over there. We're sponsored by uh, Red Bull and Stella. And um, I started playing football in the States. And, uh, and with that came, you know, acknowledgement, Australian rugby player. Um, I mean, there were 200 and, uh, the 280 million people back in the States then and yeah. 140 million women, you know what I mean? And, You're the Aussie and, boy. And I was an Australian rugby player. Like suddenly I was, I'd left a population of 20 million. Yeah. You know I mean, the population yeah. of New York yeah. was the population of Australia. And I guess um, they just loved me. They, they just took me under their wing. And I guess prior to that visit, I was doing all the, the dark things that you do when you're sort of lost and um, pills and, and drink and not silly drink, but enough to yeah. say this isn't who I am. Yeah. And um, I went over there and the welcome mat just came on and, and said the people, the blokes and the, the women just love me. And I yeah. just went, well, hang on. Yeah. This is, and I was seeing the world and I was um, being looked after by the sponsors and stuff. And uh, outside the footy, we were um, going to the colleges and teaching all these guerrilla men, ex-reject um, gridiron players that couldn't make the uh, the NFL uh, rugby, uh, the gridiron over there that had to play rugby league because they didn't have a clue, which was the main reason we were brought over there in the first place was to help them develop their game. So I was teaching kids how to play footy um, it was a, a real high for me in that sense. And then on the social scene, outside of that, as well as I said, people just loved me. And I guess towards the end of it, I was, I was more about the party than I was about the footy in the end because I knew my time would be limited over there because I was a 30-year-old footballer at that stage. And um, there were plenty of fish. And I was, that's when I got introduced to plenty more fish in the sea, mate. Like, uh, and I got loved heaps of time like over there and it was a, the greatest medicine in the world for me and That's put so the good, and that yeah. was the start of that was the start of was the, the spring in my step yep. yeah and i still have that today so give me a give me a time a wild time where over there that there's just you want to bring to the forefront and said hey i can't believe this happened what what's something that stands out that was such a great time one in, time in the party in the well i said we, we would go down to the down there they used to have a like what they call their state of origin in the footy over there, there was a northern conference and a southern conference, like they do in the, the gridiron. They have their uh, uh, sections. Okay. So um, they call it war on the shore. So we go down to New Jersey, which was the party place down there, and all these footballers were all down there, and you get selected as – it's almost like a state of origin set up, New South Wales versus Queensland. Yep. And we'd go down – unfortunately, I broke my scaffold bone in one game prior to that, uh, so I had to sit on the sideline. So we went down there for five days of war on the shore and uh, we played some, they played some great footies and we just partied and they said, we, we'd go to these. And then I, I met a girl, she invited me back with her five friends to her villa, yep. on her parents' villa on yep. this crazy lake yep. and me and five girls are in this spa and <laughs> they're just loving me for... Australian rugby player. They're saying, not, say something. You're like, what do you want me to say? And that was exactly oh, how it was. And in fact, we go to the, a lot of the clubs and I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend that we go into these massive bars, 55 plasma screens on TV, yeah. NASCAR, ice hockey, you name it, it's on these screens. There's 400 blokes in these screens. 400 blokes are watching these plasma 
Yeah. TVs high-fiving each other, yeah. doing their Budweiser thing. Yeah. And there's 300 chicks on the dance floor dancing with each other or with themselves. And I'm like, you boys missing the plot here? I'm like, well, I'm not into the, the you know, the, the ice hockey and that. So I'm like, mate, I'd just be on a dance floor dancing with 300 chicks. There yeah. were times there that I'm like, Australian rugby player? I'm like, God damn. Yeah. And I'd just go to the bar and order a drink and I'd make sure I'd shout it at the bar. I mean, hey, mate, yeah. can I have a Corona? Yeah. And you go, oh. God damn, where are you from? Where are you from? Like, I'm from, from, from Japan. No, you're not. Where are you from? <laughs> from Australia. Yep. I thought so. Yeah. I said, yeah, mate. And what are you doing here? I said, just here to drink your beer and dance. Yeah. Said, you want to dance? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to dance. That's awesome. And Helen, Colleen, Michelle. This yeah. is Steve from Australia. Yeah. Yeah, you say something, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, mate. A lot of good times, mate. Plenty of fish in the sea. Oh, I tell you, I did a bit of time over in the States and um, exactly the same thing. I arrived, I was in Indonesia surfing for three months and then I arrived into Southern California and happened to meet a guy who lived on the Strand in Hermosa Beach. And I remember opening up uh, the shutter doors and seeing roller skates go along the Strand and like, look like Baywatch. Yeah, right. I was like, oh my God. And then when I went to the bar that night, I said to the guy, uh, where's the dunny? He goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> the the lingo. He goes, what? Yeah, man. He goes, where are you from? I said, I'm from Australia. He goes, oh, my God. And he's called all these people over. Such a novelty it for is. them. And they're so naive over there in the yeah. sense that we all live in tin roofs and we've got kangaroos as pets. We could sell and when that we check that, when we check the letterbox, we step over snakes to get to it. Yeah, sell that drop bear story all day. Oh, mate. All, all right, mate. Let's get into your success now. Okay, so when did you go into the business with TriStar? Well, it was actually America that sparked it. We said we'd go over there and we'd play on these stadiums because it was the uh, the gridiron off season because the comp was starting fresh over there. Um, Murdoch was running it because of his failed Super League uh, um, venture here in Australia when the okay. ARL went head to head with Super League, and that was back in two thousand. Why'd they do that? Well, Murdoch wanted a piece of the action, okay, um, and obviously. I'm not sure the, the politics behind it and that, but it was granted and that's when the division between the ARL um, became ARL versus Super League. Pick, pick, pick your club. And yep. the money was the, the money was rumoured to be in Super League. Yep. So we all chased that that dream. Yep. And um, it, 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 the, the, the country couldn't support uh, two comps. The Broncos won it that year, Super League, and it, it closed down. And Murdoch had to go home with his tail between his legs. He gave it a crack, but he failed. So rather than, obviously, I don't know the man personally, but um, met him a couple of times. But um, he obviously went back and went, no, I'm not out, I'm not out yet. I'll, uh, I'll take it to the next level and try and do it here in the States, which he did. Yeah. But unfortunately, the, the, the talent wasn't there to entertain it, hence why the, the imports were brought in, um, myself being one of them. And then uh, we were playing on these these surfaces, these uh, these astroturf paddocks, and mate, the the the, the professionalism in the in the surface was just caught my eye. Yeah, and the pace of the, and the consistency of the whole paddock was is was one. Yep. And this is two thousand and four, and I had a little think to me said, mate, no one's doing this back home. And um, outside the game, I got talking to curators and, and curators and um, the people that were in, in, involved behind the scenes, behind the games, and um, asked a thousand questions and got a thousand answers and, and sort of done the maths and thought, well, well, wouldn't it be cool to sort of develop this back at home? Because to my knowledge, no one was doing it. And everyone I asked, no one knew anything about AstroTurf back in 2004. 
Are you saying just Queensland or the whole of Australia? Whole of, well, once again, whole of Australia, to my knowledge, has okay. said it wasn't it wasn't a big market. Even now I ask people, how many people do you know that build tennis courts? Yep. And the answer is I don't know anyone. Yeah. In any of these courts. Yeah. So um and even now when I'm back in Australia doing it now, and I tell people what I do, um, and the answer to that is sports instruction. And then a thousand questions come after that because no one's ever heard of someone that does sports instruction. Well, why don't you explain it for people that don't actually know what you do? Yeah, so TriStar Sporting is um, just – we focus on um, sports surfacing. Um, there's a lot of versions, um, different applications for different sports, uh, basketball, tennis courts. Even the domestic, if your fake grass in your home seems to be taken off too these days, who's got the time? But uh, I've wanted to focus on the, the sports side of it because of the coverage um, on a business side of, uh, side of things. And uh, – I, I learned um, there's a story going back um, from well, from the states. I came back and I met a guy in Perth that um, was actually involved in um, text creating and, and the acrylic, the hard court side of the stuff you see on the hard court tennis that was doing it. So after I turned back from America, I made contact with him and him and I had a, a pretty good um, relationship. Um, and I put my proposal to him that I wanted to learn it. And he said, well, mate, come down to Adelaide and um, I'll teach it to you. And so I flew down and I packed up. Um, I left mum and dad. At that stage, I just got back from the States. I was still living with mum and dad because I, I lost my house and that in, in, the, in the decision with Perth. And um, I went down to Adelaide and um, eyes open and, and keen as mustard and, and, and learned from a guru in the industry. And um, he owns a company down there called Advanced Sporting Services and his name was Brett Ariola. Uh, nicknamed Camel. So I went down there and, and worked for Camel just as a, a Joe Blow labourer and um, got down there and he took me under his, his wing and, and showed me the ropes of the application side of things and I was uh, doing really well at, at that and it was all a learning curve. And then um, one of his leading hands um, six months into that uh, um, pulled the pin. Uh, those two had a massive fallout. And I guess Camel at the stage was chasing people he could trust and, and to run his business because he was the office guy. He wasn't, he wasn't on the tools. And he asked me, would I be interested in taking up that role as project managing his running his factory and the job sites? And I thought six months doing this trade, like no way in the world am I qualified to do such a role. And once again, through discussions with Dad, um, sort of said, well, mate, hey, you're doing it now, mate, if, and, and the big picture was to come back and do it here on my own. He said, well, mate, if you can do it for him, you can do it for yourself. I love yeah. your dad as a sounding board for you. Oh, he's just been such north-facing. He's been he, – oh, he's just a guru, mate. I wish we could have bottled him up and yeah. sold him. Yeah. And all my mates have got a lot of respect for him too, which is a good thing for me to hear because obviously I'm his son, so naturally I'd have that thought to him, but it's pretty cool when others outside my circle bent the same um, – Suggestion that he was uh, a legend. Can I just touch on if if there was one piece of advice he gave you out of all those years, what's something that you still apply every day? Oh, there's so many. Um, I just want one. Well, that's a good question. Um, I guess his main thing for me was to never never put someone in a better position than yourself was the, probably one of the smartest things he ever said to me. But there were so many that uh, I could rattle off you know, 50 that I still live today, sure. um, each day with the same principles and morals. But um, getting back to the sporting side of things, he, um, 
so Camel down there in Adelaide, and we succeeded. Um, Camel's still trading down there um, with his business, and him and I contact all the time. And I would he would fly me home. The deal was I'd fly down there, and he'd fly me home once a month. So I'd work four weeks. I was so keen. I had no friends down there, as such. Um, it was an AFL um, state, so there wasn't a lot of televised league, and I was bored. There was no surf, as such. Um, it was a different culture, Adelaide towards the Gold Coast is where I was born. So I was I was in a lonely spot in that sense. But I wasn't down there to socialise, I was down there to work and learn. Yeah. So it got to the stage where weekends, I'd like, boys, who, who wants to work yeah. the weekends? The work was You're there to be done. And yeah. I found it hard to find blokes that, you know, they obviously had families and, and, and relationships. I found it hard to, because I just enjoyed doing what I was doing. Yeah. It was such a, I get such a high out of doing a trade. It wasn't a, a job to me at all. It was um, going into these places and turning these schools and, and tennis clubs and basketball clubs and people's backyards into, or you know, d- downgraded, shitty courts into, like you know, wow, the, 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 that's it. The wow. schools, the, the teachers love you, yep. the principals love you, yep. the parents love you, and more importantly, I was, with all due respect, I was getting fat kids off off, off seats because they're all sit on the on the on the on the under the pergola playing with iPhones. Yep. Playing with Xboxes and yep. and not doing the stuff that I grew up, throwing balls against walls and yep. kicking footies around. You know, what I mean, it was a seems to be a dying thing, and it was the massive high in the you know I could have got out of the trade, and to this day I get it each time. One of the things I noticed about you, Steve, especially with play art sports being um, some of your uh, sports equipment you've used for the courts, is the Gold Coast City Council a lot of times insisted that you do the work, and I thought that was quite interesting that they always were referring you Mm -hmm. tell me about how that connection all came about i guess like anything once again taught from growing up is like you don't chase the money chase the work do the work and the money will come do it well and do it well and i've always focused that with even when i had the night the the clubs and nightclubs in perth i was always a people's person yeah and um i always did my best at, at at what i could do and the and the, the the backlash of not doing such a thing was you'd have to go back and fix it. Yep. So I always took pride in, in what I did and and made sure that the client or the customer was involved. And like play hard, if there was an issue um, on the field when I'm putting this stuff was, I would get the feedback back to the manufacturer yep. to make sure and help them run their businesses. Yep. And better their product. And more and more, more times than none, I'd actually go into their factory and, and talk, sit down with them and, yeah. and ask how they did it. That. And they would tell me how they did it, and I'd, I'd tell them my issues, and let's yep. let's try and fix it. Yep. And that wasn't just with the sports equipment; that was with the um, synthetic grasses, and more importantly, the uh, acrylic courts, the paints. Yep. Telling the um, manufacturers or the chemists that develop these products that, hey, this is what it's doing, and yep. how can we stop that from happening? And well, you're there at face value; you have to pass through that information back to the producers. Oh, it's a massive thing in all to, trades. For them to communication, yeah, it's a communication thing. And, and I guess with council, was said, well, you know, with any any of my clients, man, I always took them as borders. Like, thank you for the opportunity of giving me the work. I won't let you down. Yeah, and that's where I am. That, that's what's got me to where I am today. Yeah, I can see that it resonates. You got a great story, mate, about um, uh, a life saving issue that you uh, helped save a guy's life. Run us through that. Tell oh, in, that great story in Perth. I uh, yeah. I, I went over. I, I left Perth. I, my my girlfriend at the time and myself moved to uh, Perth back in '96, 
was her family left the Gold Coast and we were just about to have our second child. So the mum and dad were sort of sick and didn't have the time, so we made the decision to chase uh, for family support, go to Perth um, with, with her family. The real estate was cheaper. Um, we actually went over on a holiday, to be honest with you. And then while I was there, I was looking for jobs and I was working at Royal Pines Resort. I did a f um, food and beverage traineeship straight out of school, which taught me service. And um, when I was there, I uh, applied for four jobs just to see what they were paying. And out of the four jobs I applied for, two of them said, we want you. And um, I asked what they were paying and it was seven or eight grand more than I was getting at Royal Pines. And I went, well, uh, family support, the uh, cost of living was cheaper and the money was better. So it was a, a no-brainer in, in that sense. And I contacted mum and dad, who dad was still pretty crook. Um, he said, well, mate, that's your family now, mate. You need to focus on that. We'll be fine. He said he had good medical sort of stuff here. So we, I never came home from that, that holiday. And I told me dad to go around to my house and pack up my stuff and I'll get a sea container. And, and he did such a thing and we never came home. It was a really weird thing. We, went, yeah. we had a return trip. We never came back. And then um, I was working these uh, clubs and nightclubs. I was running a country pub at the time and I was on my way to work. It was a country pub, so I would go up there and work four days, live in the hotel, uh, run the hotel and come home and have three quality full days un uninterrupted with my family. I was on my way to start my, my first day of my four-day shift and I come over this crest and there's two hours out of Perth uh, on the way to York, a little country town in, in Perth. And um, I come over this crest and here's this tree wrapped, uh, this car wrapped around a tree on fire. There's four other cars parked on the side of the road and I'm, I sort of pulled up being the fifth car. I said, that's pretty serious and got out of the car, walked up. There was a first group watching this car burn on what's going on. So someone's hit it. Well, where is he? Uh, no one knows. Got to the main group who'd been there longer and said, what's going on? Or someone's hit this tree and where are they? Oh, they're still in it. I was like, well, no one wanted to go near the car because it was on fire. So I was 26 at the time, strong as an ox, and um, went down the bank. Everyone was screaming for me to come back and I stuck my head into this bloom of smoke and as I did, this window of, um, cleared and I could see the bloke um, unconscious behind the, well, behind, the, behind the wheel, covered in blood. Got to him and put my hand on him and he... Sure enough, he rolled his head and he looked at me and I went, holy hell, this guy's still alive and couldn't get the door open and people talk about adrenaline rush and, and I remember just grabbing the windscreen and just folded the windscreen off the, off the car because it was cracked and reached him with one hand and he wasn't pinned or nothing luckily but I rolled him out onto the bonnet and threw him over my shoulder and chucked Norris style, carried him out out of the smoke and was walking up the bank and as I was walking up the up the bank, eight seconds after I pulled him away from the car, the car blew up like a bomb. And I couldn't see that because I was had my back so I could only see the people that were watching me do the act on the on the bitumen road and they all just dove and ran away from the flame and got to the top of the crest of the hill and um, someone had put down a tray of a ute and I put him back on it and looked back to go and see if anyone else is in the car and Mate, the car was a whole, this 400-year-old tree, mate, it was well ablaze. It was a February, so it was summer in a, in a country paddock and the whole field was on fire at that stage because the petrol had um, splurted out from the car. And then um, he got, they drove him to a, a, a country hospital and then um, from there he was um, 
emergently uh, put back into Royal Perth Hospital where um, I didn't know anything about what was going on at that stage. But at that stage, the radios and the TV crews had got wind of it and suddenly I was getting bombarded in this little country town with this thing and then... Um, but what I want to know is no one else did anything but you did. It was a real weird... Why? It was a real weird... It was just an adrenaline thing. I've always been that guy. Just to go in and... Yeah, I've always... Uh, so dangerous. I've always run in and just sort of done things because... Did, did you I, think or just you didn't No, I think? didn't think at all. Well, I just knew I was here and he was there and I, no could, one else moved. And I could get to that point. Wow. Or at least go and, go and have a look closer to that point. Yeah. And I guess and it was hot, and you could smell it. And mate, it was chill. tricky. Looking back at it now, you know, now it's all happened, yeah. and I can uh, so wow. the adrenaline kicked in, and then that's what took over. And then, um, consequently, it happened that uh, he'd left a family reunion um, um, half hour earlier, yeah. and he was on his way back to Perth for a car expo. And that's when the accident happened, and and obviously the rest of his family members had left half hour after him, and. His uncles, his aunties, his mum and dad, his um, brothers and sisters all drove past the accident and no one stopped because they didn't recognise the car, which was now I know, talking to the parents now, that uh, she said if he died, and he would have died if it had, didn't happen, um, it would have it would have haunted her for the rest of her life and it was a pretty cool pretty cool time in my life to look back, well, said and I've contributed and yeah, it's kind of weird. It's, you don't, they don't teach you that stuff at school. It's just sort of happened. Mate, you're a hero. And that I was labelled. I got a bravery award and, and won a human spirit award for 2002. Um, I was on all the radio stations back in the day. It was kind of unreal. Yeah. And my wife pulled me up at the end and said, mate, did you think of what the short, you know, the, the backlash of it not going the way it did? That hit home pretty quick because it was pretty hectic. That hit home pretty hard. And I guess I'm lucky that we're both here to share that story today, you know. And to this day we're still, and we are mates. And getting back to the who this guy is, the guy that I've actually working for in Adelaide was his stepdad. And that's how I met this guy that done the text creating and that. Um, he was the stepdad of the kid I pulled out of the car. He was nineteen at the time, and um, and, uh, and to this mate, to this day we're we're really close mates. His nickname is Crash because of the accident. He bra- he fractured his skull and, and and spleen. He's got pins all through him. He had to learn how to walk and all that sort of stuff again. And he was 19 and it, it opened up his life, um, his eyes in regards to life and what it's all about. And um, and I had a thousand stories by that stage and, and he, he he now, I sort of became a mentor of his and and um, we've travelled the world together and, and he's actually worked for my business on a few occasions because he actually does, the uh, through his stepdad, he knows the trade. So, uh, Does he introduce you as the guy that saved his life? No, we don't talk about it much at all, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's really cool in that sense. And I don't want to be known as that guy. I'm quite happy just to be his mate, you know what I mean? But I am really glad that because of the accident, he saw the light in regards to life. And and I said to him, well, mate, come and I'll show it to you. And I'll show you how I see. And he he actually admires the way I sort of live in that. So I'm happy to share that with someone. Sure. Yeah. Great story, mate. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, cool. What's the um, what's the future hold for you? Uh, good question. I said um, I've been a diabetic now since I was fourteen. So I guess growing up watching dad uh, grow up with health issues and uh, the struggles he had with that and having to be a provider, it's always been a, a daunting, untold uh, internal um, 
demon of mine. And I guess uh, the drive for me to uh, do the work and 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 make and make the coin to to live the life I want to live has been in overdrive because I didn't want to be trying to do that um, with an amputated leg, trying to earn a crust as a sports applicator, kind of hard thing to do. Yeah. So um, that's been my drive personally. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess the, that's the million dollar question I can't really answer. I mean, I've, I've I've still got a passion for the trade, yeah. but I guess I need to ask myself the question, um, what is the meaning of life? I've Recently I lost a friend, uh, a good friend I played footy with, a couple of years older than me, a mountain of a man back in the day, um, got uh, diagnosed with motor neuron disease and two years later he was gone, like uncomprehendable, family and all. Yeah. And I asked the question, did he live? Um, I know Steve Jobs. And doc, well documented that before his passing that um, did he did, did these people really live and yes they've been successful in business but I guess the question is were they successful in life and uh, that's the I guess that's the drive I've got um, with a, with the the answer to that question I haven't answered yet because I'm still trying to find it but I am living I've always lived yeah. and they no one will take that away from me if I want to do something I'll try and do it if it's if it's doable yeah. Mate, I always ask my guests when they come on, if you uh, had the opportunity to place a phone call back to yourself when you were 20, what would you tell yourself? Well, yeah, that is a big good question. Um, I don't think I'd change much at all, really. I mean, the question is I'd probably, I'd probably change some relationship questions. I said that I've met a thousand good people um, and a lot of good um, uh, women and I guess – I wish I'd um, uh, focused on um, st- staying with the, the good people that I've met in that department. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a funny world now because, as I said, it's, a, it's an internet world. I mean, people just don't socialise as well as they do. In fact, I'm, I struggle with people that like to talk um, because it's all done via email and the, the relationships thing is all done online and uh, – I've always met people in pubs and clubs because it's always been where I've vented um, my social life, and people just don't like talking to strangers anymore. It's a shame. It's, it's a, a shame, it's yeah. a it's a dying shame. Yeah. I'm trying to change it, I, and hence why I'm here today, and to tell a story because um, I, a lot a lot of people just sort of close up, and and and, and I guess the society today is people are scared, mate. Um, they lock themselves in their houses. There's a lot of there's a lot of negative stuff going on the planet. You don't have to turn, watch the TV to go on. And I think as a society, I said, well, I think we're losing the concept of what it's all about, community, you know, friends, family. I mean, there was a day that we used to work five days and have two off. Like what happened to that? Mm. I mean, these people are just trying to get bigger cars and bigger houses and the, and why? Because that's what society, you know, expects. Yeah. These shows on TV, Love Islands, like what's that promoting? Yeah. I mean, these are kids' shows. Yeah. And they're watching these, um, you know, the kids are watching these shows learning that adultery is a good thing. You know I mean? It's, it's a sad planet. Sure. You know, I hate watching it. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We've got a lot out of it. You've got a lot of um, a lot of people that are around you that really respect and, and like the way you conduct business. And I want to thank you very much for coming onto the show. Um I haven't asked this before, and obviously this hasn't come into my parameters. But if your dad was looking down, which he is, what would you like to say to him 
from a man you've become through his uh, his guidance? Oh, I'd have to say, well, obviously I'd have to say, I'd shake his hand and say thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Mate, thank you so much for sharing everything. Harry Dice. Thank you.